Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to Fear It Goes, the sex series. It's been super fun. I'm really loving bringing this for you guys. I did say we were going to get down to the nitty gritty, and today's episode is with our beautiful Megan, again, talking about the pitfalls, or not, of some of the things that we can encounter through sexual experiences. So today's pretty detailed, but I do promise you, you're going to learn some stuff. I got schooled in this episode. So I'm hoping that you get schooled too in a great way so that one, you don't fear any of these potential risks, that instead you see them as risks and that you're educated around the risk and you know how to mitigate it and you know what to do to make sure that you're on top of things. With no further ado, welcome back to Fear It Goes, the sex series. Welcome to Fear It Goes, the podcast all about taking your fears with you and doing it anyway. I'm your host, Brandi Taylor. Hi, Megan. It's so great to have you here. Thank you so much for being on Fear It Goes and being a part of our sex series. It's so exciting. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for um, acknowledging uh, this whole wonderful realm of sex. Yay! Who doesn't love sex? Did I just say that? (laughs) Today we're going to talk about sexual health and some ideas around sex that I hadn't even thought about until I actually met you, which was a very, very fortunate meeting. You kind of put some things to bed for me. It's funny, I just (laughs) used that term. (laughs) You kind of put some things to bed with me, though, regarding some ideas I had or preconceived ideas I had around sexual health and potential dangers or pitfalls of different partners or um, catching different things um, and how to stay safe and clean and not stay safer. None of us can be perfectly safe. (laughs) (laughs) But that even if you aren't perfectly safe, um, Oh, I don't think I want to go down this road. <laughs> there Let's are talk ways about to, how to have fun and uh, think about lessening the risk and uh, doing it in that sense. Um, so it all starts with conversation first. Ideally, having conversations with our partners, and we want to know are you having testing done? First of all, we all need to start with testing. And then if we're all tested, well, what do the tests actually test for and what do they not test for? That's an important thing to think about. Certainly testing, really easy to test for chlamydia and gonorrhea. So the bacterial infections, a little bit harder once we go into the bloodborne pathogens. So syphilis, HIV, because of the window periods. So somebody can say, yeah, I had a test last week, but they've had sex with somebody since that test. Well, even if they had uh, recent testing, well, they may have picked up something. It could have been chlamydia and gonorrhea. It could have been something else. So for syphilis, for example, if they've had sex in the last three months and get syphilis, um, that's not going to show up on the test yet. 
So there's an incubation period? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to think about that. Whereas a few decades ago, we didn't need to think about syphilis. Whereas now it's definitely back in the circle of STIs that are moving around. So we have to think about having our blood done. The other thing when we have testing done, when we go to certain places, they do our blood, they do our urine. They don't necessarily test other areas. Whereas if we stick penises, strap-ons, anything fun into our throat or our bums, we need to swap those areas. <laughs> let's stick, let's just get down to the nitty gritty today. <laughs> so welcome to Fear It Goes and all the fears are out the window and shame and guilt and all the low-grade emotions are out the window with this too. Because really when we're talking about sex, we should really be able to be very open about our ideas around sex, how we explore it, and the conversations we have with our partners without that shame. So mm-hmm. this is really hopefully going to clarify a lot of things for you today and give you the information you need to be able to move forward with your fun sex life <laughs> and explore freely without that shame and guilt. So talking about STIs. <laughs> <laughs> So we know there's an incubation period for some of them, and we know you should be tested in other ways that you weren't expecting for others, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's surprisingly non-invasive, a a lot better than you would think. It's quite easy to go and get testing, and for some people, if they're not comfortable sharing all the details with their healthcare provider, they're allowed to decline different questions. So if you go and you may not want to explore everything with that provider, just say, you know what, I've done some research, these are the tests I want and what I'm looking for, and you can drive your own healthcare. And I think that's important for people because sometimes they're really worried about going in for testing because they're worried about what they're going to be asked. You absolutely get to drive for your own health care and say what you need and decline other options. So I think that's important for people to know. Okay, so from the other side of that, just thinking, if you've never been tested, is it a wise idea if you've had multiple partners throughout your lifetime and never been tested? Is it not a good idea to kind of have the full spectrum of tests done? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I'm talking more about if you're in there and say you're into BDSM, for example, and you have lots of bruises and that healthcare provider wants to get into a serious conversation about that, you can say, yes, this is consensual and I'd like to move on from this conversation. And so because healthcare providers, we're looking at your whole body, we're doing a full uh, spectrum of assessment, we'll ask different questions. And so some people kind of shy away from going in for testing because they're worried about what some of those questions will be. Absolutely get fully tested, but realize that if you're uncomfortable at any point, you can say that and say, can we move on from this conversation? And it's important to know too, that everything is extremely confidential when you go in to be tested and the test results come back to you, correct? Yes. There's absolutely no way for another person to get your test results. Um, Certainly, other healthcare providers uh, may be able to access those results, but not any of the conversations that you've had with that healthcare provider, just the results themselves. I can't remember actually when we discussed this and I have no problem sharing this with my doctor, but let's say I didn't want my doctor to know these details. Can I keep that 
like just at the clinic? Uh, there are different clinics you can go to that uh, will have another level of confidentiality. So you have to look for those clinics. And certainly if you are not providing your health card number, then there's no way that your family doctor or anybody else is accessing those results. So it can be very, very, very private, mm -hmm. which is really great knowing that some people, this may be the deterrent for them to actually go in and get tested. It's just, I don't want anybody to know. It, again, that's that shame wrapped around it. And we need to get past that because it's extremely important for you to be able to be healthy and be able to explore if that's what you choose to do. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to remember that sexual health is part of whole health. So if you encounter a healthcare provider that doesn't seem comfortable, that you don't seem comfortable with, then there's always other healthcare providers to go and find because certainly we view sexual health as not just this one-off thing to keep secret. It's really part of our health and we want to really... Um, we feel entitled to have that testing done and we need that as often as we need that. So sometimes a healthcare provider may be like, oh, I tested you six months ago. Why are you here again? Well, I've had sex with several people since then. I'm here because I need to be. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> if I'm coming in to be tested, what's a standard or what's a good standard for being tested? So how often should I do it? That's a great question. So for most people, the bare minimum is going to be yearly. So every year you should have testing done. Now for a lot of us, that's not going to be as often as what we actually need it to be. And so, what determines that? Um, that's going to determine if um, you're having several... Um, back-to-back -back monogamous relationships, so you're changing sexual partners. That's going to determine if you're having an open relationship, um, if something has happened inside your relationship. Maybe you thought it was monogamous, but you're wondering about what your partner's actually doing. So anytime that there could be a potential of um, another partner, another partner, then introduced. we want uh, testing. Now, for some of us, we are having a lot more sex than that. So if we're having a new partner every single week, can we have testing that often? No. So then in flipping to the other side of the pendulum, then as often as what it would be is every three months. You wouldn't typically do it um, any more than every three months unless you have had a high-risk um, situation. So I'm talking about some sort of assault or if you are... Um, very consistent in barrier sex and you've had a What's bar barrier sex so barrier sex means that you're using condoms you're using dental dams you're using female condoms it's did you just say dental dams mm -hmm. okay we have to talk about that because i don't even know what that means <laughs> <laughs> that's like foreign language to me <laughs> So I like to say barrier sex and barrier free sex because then it's we're not talking about heterosex, we're not talking about queer sex, we're talking about all sex. Yep. Um, so then um, we have our male condoms, we have our female condoms, um, and then we have dental dams. So dental dams is typically a square of latex that's going to go over um, genitalia for licking purposes. So really good if you're doing rimming, really good if you're licking labias. So 
just good for licking areas that, that uh, could have fluids. And so if you're trying not to be fluid bonded and you're stopping that fluid exchange, which is essentially stopping the transmission of STIs, then that's what we're trying to do. Now, uh, dental dams. There's lots of people that'll be like, oh, you need a dental dam? Take a condom and cut it halfway and open it up and there's your dental dam. Now, I've done this and if you're a size two, maybe that works. But for many women or other bodies, if we are a larger body, then that tiny um, piece of latex is not going to be enough. You look up at your partner once in the face and then I don't know where my little tiny piece of latex went. <laughs> I have never heard of the use of this, ever. So this is very interesting. So a lot me. of people don't use them and a lot of people don't know how to use them and they get frustrated with the use. And so if you are getting really good dental dams, you can buy them in larger sizes. And then if you go even an extra step, the really, the best ones are going to have different colors. So one side is one color, the other side's the other color. So then if I slip my hand and the dental dam go somewhere, well, I very much know that I'm the pink side. My partner is a the purple side so then there's no uh, switching but if you're not working with the colored ones then I would take a sharpie and make a little um something a marker mark on something so you know which side is yours which side is your partner's because as soon as we're introducing fluids or introducing lubricants well that little piece of latex is very slippery and easy like it's hard to control you want a larger piece and you want to know which side is which well, color me red because I've never <laughs> heard this stuff before. So this is the first time for me and I thought I knew a lot. <laughs> Turns out I know nothing. <laughs> the female condoms, those are larger than a male condom. So you can open those up and they're a little bit easier to use. Um, but I still like a bigger piece of latex than just that. I have never heard of a female condom either. <laughs> Ooh. So a female condom is really fascinating. Um... It's, it's much larger. There's going to be two rings associated with it. And one of them is completely detachable from the actual condom itself. So then what you do is you, if you've ever seen the Nuva ring, a form of birth control, um, it's just a little for ring that's squishy. So yeah. the audience members and many of you have used those and you'll know what I mean. But with the female condom, there will be another little piece that looks just like that. So you put it inside, it almost... I'm sorry, it'll sound bad, but it'll almost look like a little baggie. So you're putting this little thing inside the baggie. <laughs> and then once you have something to grab onto, you can squish that and put the baggie so it's going internal into a female. Or it can go into anuses, um, so it doesn't have to be for a female. Right. Um, so then you can use it that way. The nice thing about it is if... You don't want to stop and put a kind of stop the whole mood and play with a condom. Then you can do that right before you even get undressed. So if you're knowing that you're having sex, you know that this is what's happening, then you can already insert the female condom so that there's no hesitation. So certainly for anybody that has erectile dysfunction issues, then that's going to be really helpful for them because there's no stop. Um, so that's a great right. uh, reason to use one. Um, if you're using them, then 
put turn the music on, that you're going to have a bit more of air trapping. <laughs> so the sound is not going to be awesome. So you want to be really loud or turn the music up. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> That's so good. Okay, actually, um, let's talk about erectile dysfunction because that's something a lot of people don't want to talk about. Yes. And it's a fact that sometimes this is, it comes up and it's not an age-related thing. No, it can, it's absolutely a confidence-related thing and psychological-related thing. Um, and so if I've only been in a relationship and me and my partner have never used a condom. Now I'm getting into a new relationship and my new partner said, you know what, I really want to use condoms. Now I'm kind of going, ugh, I don't know how to use a condom very well. How do I do this and seem really cool in front of this partner that I really am trying to impress? It's really right. hard to have all of that confidence to put on a condom and to stay erect um, for that. So what I encourage people to do, as silly as it sounds, is masturbate using a condom. So then you're going to get really good at putting it on. So then all of a sudden when you're in front of a new person or in front of that person that's just making your heart race like crazy, there's no uh, hesitation. There's no fumbling. You're very good at those skills of putting that on. Right. And then um, let's be honest, having an orgasm with a condom on versus with a condom off feels very different. Feels very different. So if you're not used to anymore having orgasms and reaching ejaculation um, with a condom, well, I'm sorry, you need to go and practice and do that. So going home and masturbating, reaching that point is going to really help you so that you're not in your head, you're not worried about all of those things. That is really interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting. And talking about masturbation and how it, actually masturbation is really important because it's our opportunity to really get to know our bodies before we go out and venture with other people. And what better way to teach our new partners or our partners the things that we really enjoy because mm -hmm. sex is supposed to be enjoyable, not torturous. <laughs> well, unless that's your thing. <laughs> the other thing you can do if you're not used to condoms or you hate um, how it may feel is put a drop of lubricant on the inside of the condom. That's going to really increase the sensation um, for the penis that's inside the condom. And then if you're awesome. really lovely for your partners, put some lube on the outside too, please. Well, because condoms come lubricated. They come lubricated, but uh, if we're talking about heterosexual sex and uh, we're talking about women, well, if I'm right before my period, I don't, it doesn't matter how aroused I am, I'm not going to get as lubricated as when I'm in the middle of my cycle. So my cycle is going to determine how much lubricant I have. And other things can determine how much lubricant I have. So I can say mentally, yes, 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 I want this. But if I'm not producing that amount of lubricant, please stop and slow down and add that. I need that for a full, beautiful experience. Uh, experience. I don't want to be ripped and torn. And that's what right. we're doing if we don't have enough lubricant. And as soon as you're doing ripping, tearing, if there is a barrier-free sex or right. if there is a break in the barriers, then we know that the risk for STI transmission has just increased. Right. Of course. Of course. Lubricants. Use lubricants. <laughs> and don't get lubricants that smell pretty. They have sugar. They're going to give us yeast infections or menbalanitis. 
Don't What's you? balanitis? Balanitis, if uh, a man is uncircumcised, then he can get a bit of a yeast or a fungal infection underneath the foreskin. And so that's not good for him either. So yes, men have issues with yeast as well. Right. And so we don't want anything with sugar in it. So if that lubricant does something fun when you blow on it, may cause problems to you or I. Some people they'll be fine with, but if you're not sure, or if you're more prone, prone to yeast infections, you don't want any of those fancy lubes. You want a plain Jane boring water-based lube. Why water-based? And because some are water-based and some aren't. So yes. what's what's the difference? Good question. So uh, with all of our latex or polyurethane barriers, um, the female condom is polyurethane. So for people that have latex allergies, you can also get male condoms now that are polyurethane. Um, so then the water-based goes along with latex and polyurethane because it's not going to break it down. If you're going with a silicone or an oil-based lube, then it's breaking that down. Oh. Mm-hmm. And for all of us that like to use our toys with their sexual experiences, well, our silicone toys are really expensive. We want them to last. So if you're using a silicone-based lube, then you are messing up your toy very, very quickly. Pay attention, people. <laughs> I didn't know this at all. Oh my God. See sex at 101. <laughs> so the reason why people like silicone though, is that it lasts a lot longer. So that lovely slippery feeling is going to last a lot longer, but it depends on what type of sex you're having, um, what type of lube you're using. So if you're using a water-based lube, be prepared to use lots of it. Be prepared to go through a lot more lube. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool i want to talk about um uh kind of some sexual dysfunctions do you guys deal with that very often in the office Mm, not necessarily i mean i may be able to discuss some but uh depends on what you're thinking so well because i'm thinking erectile dysfunction first first and foremost um because it's an it's an interesting topic that comes up quite a lot, mm-hmm. and like I said, it has no age to limit. Nope. You could be in your twenties and experience this, or you could be in your forties or fifties. And I used to think it was more age related. I used to think it had a lot more to do with testosterone levels. It really doesn't. Doesn't have anything to do with testosterone levels, but it can be age related. Well, let's say it's absolutely not age related. It is chronic disease related. So if you have diabetes, you have heart disease, you have anything that is going to make your blood vessels smaller or more scarred, then you're going to have a higher likelihood for erectile dysfunction. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you really want to be thinking about making sure if you do have diabetes that your blood sugars are well controlled. You want your penis. We want your penis. Please <laughs> control your sugars. <laughs> See, all the more reason to go keto, people. (laughs) Or plant-based. Or plant-based, that's right. Plant-based is going to help your heart disease and reverse it. (laughs) Well, and same thing with keto, because keto drops the sugars out. It takes the sugars right out. Um, And honestly, there is nothing better than having a very consistent, and I know this isn't about sex, but... It sort of is because a very consistent energy level, you don't have spikes, so you don't mm-hmm. have the ups and downs. So I can, well, if we're talking about sex, I can last longer <laughs> because have I have consistent, stamina. yes, because I have consistent energy. It doesn't, it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a long haul. So 
it's it's nice actually when we're dealing with sugars and, and I, as I females that, that are multi-orgasmic we want uh, all of our partners to last longer so please <laughs> eat well and control your sugars <laughs> yes and control your sugars <laughs> So back to texting, let's talk about, I don't know if we've finished the conversation about how frequently you should be getting tested because more and more people are not necessarily having monogamous relationships. So then uh, I have so many people that ask me uh, if they're in a poly situation, how often they should have testing, Right. which um, again, if we're going back to the most frequent testing anybody would have is every three months. So then if me and my partner are both in an open poly relationship, so we're both having other partners, then I'm going to go and have testing. And then my main regular, maybe my fluid bonded partner depends on the situation. They're going to go and get tested in three months. And then so it's because if I am fluid bonded with that person, then we know in those three months, we've already shared our STIs together. So then I'm going three months, that person's going three months, then I'm going. So it's like we're always doing it three months, but the onus isn't on either one of us. So then I'm doing it actually every six months. They're doing it every six months, but But then we're staggering it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we want to think about that. So if you're having more casual sex, you're having partners, have those awesome conversations so that you know that everybody's doing it and try and stagger it as much as possible so that it's happening more frequently. On monogamous relationships. This is an interesting discussion and it's coming up on the podcast. Actually, we're going to talk about monogamy and polyamorous and ambiamorous and open and swinging and the whole spectrum of relationships and what they look like in the dynamics of each relationship. Um, But regardless of what type of relationship you're in, sexual health obviously is extremely important. So being tested. And when we look at sexual health, it's not just about the testing. It's the conversation you and I had when I had come into the office because I had never been tested like this before I came from a marriage of a long time and then dating has been very interesting um and even just being out dating at all and being with partners um or any partner outside of a marriage for me was I required testing I I don't know enough I will say that I was in a seven-year marriage where, to my knowledge, neither of us were having sex with other people, but I was still getting tested every year just because that was my norm. And so I encourage, even when you are married, to make that your norm. So if something happens, either you are out of your marriage or you decide to change the parameters of your marriage, then you're already ready to have testing done. It's just your norm. It's your norm. Right. It's already set up. Because for women, many of us always think about having testing done with our pap tests. Our pap tests used to be done yearly. It's not done yearly anymore every three years. So that's way too long to go without any testing. Let's talk about the tests, actually. So I think there's chlamydia and there's syphilis and there's all these different lovely um, infections we can get. But what are symptoms of these and how do we know if we've got them? And, and I think this is a big, important 
um, consideration when it comes to testing and why it's so important to be tested because some of them actually have no symptoms. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest myth in the community is people who say, oh, if I had something, I'd know. No, 90% of people with chlamydia have no idea. I see people with um, gonorrhea, with syphilis, um, newly diagnosed HIV, and they don't remember ever having symptoms. So many of us can feel just fine, feel healthy, but that doesn't mean that we're infectious free. So we still need that testing done. Okay, so no symptoms for some. Are there symptoms for some? Uh, there can be. Um, so certainly if you're having any burning when you're urinating, that's not a good sign. Um, <laughs> if there's discharge from a penis and it's not um, arousal related, it's, right. uh, it's not, it's not, not arousal related, <laughs> then um, that's not good. Uh, for women, if your vaginal discharge is changing, well, why? Um, if it's not related to your uh, hormonal cycle, well, why is that changing? We always need to know why our vaginal discharge is changing um, from our bum. If all of a sudden we're having a lot more burning or itching or discharge in and around bowel movements, well, that could be a sign of infection as well. Um, so anything that's different from our normal, we want to know why we're different all of a sudden. And then what would a standard, okay, so you get tested and you find out, yes, oh, I have contracted something. Um, <laughs> what would a standard procedure be to clear that up? Uh, for most, it's uh, a single dose of antibiotics. So w it's designed to be as easy as possible because we know that humans have really interesting um, lives and some humans have a lot of barriers in their life. So we try and make it as easy as possible. So if you test positive, then we give you a single dose of antibiotics. You're not allowed to have sex of any kind for seven days after that. And then you're going to have a retest done in month, one month, once you find out you're negative again, your sexual mojo comes back. Okay, so are you saying, wait a minute, you just said you couldn't have sex for seven days, yeah. so one week, and then you don't get tested for a month, but yeah. then you don't have sex in the whole month, or what's the deal? Yeah, so <laughs> gold star. Gold star, if you want to be perfect, is after antibiotic use, you don't have sex until you're retest in one month. For most of us, I'm much hornier than that. I'm going to have uh, sex before then. So I'm going to wait my seven days after that. I'm only going to have uh, barrier sex. So that's Silver Star. So barrier sex I can do and then have my retest in a month. Bronze Star is I wait my seven days. After that, I have barrier-free sex and then I have my retest in one month. Why it's one month is that the tests are so sensitive that it's going to pick up the dead bacteria. So it's going to essentially say, oh, you still have the infection. We're going to right. retreat you. People don't want endless amounts of antibiotics. That is not good for our body. Nope. We want to take care of the good bacteria in our body, especially us women. Our bacteria is important for our vaginal health as well. So we're disrupting that every time we come into contact with uh, infection. Yes, it's important to get it treated with antibiotics, but that's, we don't want to do over treatment either. Right. And remember, anytime you take antibiotics, make sure to take probiotics afterwards because you need to replenish your beautiful gut biome because it's your health. 
It's your immune system. Mm -hmm. And lots of Western medicine will forget to tell you that. We know with our naturopathic medicine that it's very important. It is well established in that community to do that. Probiotics. <laughs> Live by them. <laughs> Stay you healthy. <laughs> you don't need probiotics for more than a month at a time. So we haven't talked about viruses. Mm. Viruses are complicated. There's no good answers. It makes everybody want to slam their head against the wall. I'm sorry. I'm not going to have any good answers for you either. So what am I talking about with viruses? I'm talking about uh, herpes and I'm talking about HPV. So human papillomavirus that causes uh, warts and different types of cancer. So these two viruses are different. So let's start with herpes. So herpes um, is extremely common. So at least one in four of us all carry a herpes virus. So many of us have already had sex with somebody that carries the virus. So this huge stigma of, oh my goodness, I just found out my partner has herpes. Well, yes, your partner's awesome. They told you that they had herpes. So thank you for being communicating and telling the truth with your partners. And let's discuss what does, the, what does that mean? Because a lot of people don't know if they even carry it because we don't test for it. Why do we not test for it? Because we uh, typically can't. The gold standard with testing is if there's an open sore, then we'll swab the sore. So everybody that's coming in for the routine testing are like, oh, I don't have herpes. Actually, your healthcare provider hasn't talked to you about it very well because you were never tested for it in the first place. Is there, is it, okay, so I've heard that some people can carry it and never exhibit. Correct. Hmm. So they can never, so what, what I'm saying is they'll just never present with an actual symptom. So it, they'll never have an open sore. They'll never have it, but they actually carry the virus. Certainly. So what does that mean for a partner? Yeah. So it means that essentially we should all be working with the knowledge of you or I could potentially carry the virus. So what are we going to do about that? How are we going to protect each other? Because let's just think that maybe either one of us are carriers if we don't know already for sure. So it comes down to your immune system. So you want to really think about how healthy am I feeling right now? Have I been recently traveling? Have I recently been sick? Am I dealing with way more stress than usual? Have I had a major life event? Any of those things, my immune system is going to be depleted. So if my immune system is depleted, then I'm much more likely to be about to have an outbreak. And that's kind of the prime time of passing the virus on to somebody. So I want to be thinking, if I know that I have the virus, then I'm not going to have sex while any of those things are going on. I'm going to wait till I'm feeling really healthy and vibrant and have awesome sex at that point. Now my partners, um, then they're going to think about their immune system too. If any of those things are happening uh, again, you're stressed, you've been sick, you've made your life event, anything that you're just like, yeah, I'm feeling really like a lot's going on in my life. Well, your immune system is really busy trying to take care of you. So it may not be able to protect against this virus. So that's a perfect opportunity for you to pick up the virus when your immune system is kind of in your boots. So okay. you, again, both people want to be communicating really well and going, do we feel healthy and vibrant? If you feel healthy and vibrant, have really awesome sex then. Take advantage of that. <laughs> and if you're like, but I want to have sex and I'm not feeling healthy and vibrant, well, then you're thinking about the barrier sex. You're thinking about bringing condoms, but condoms only cover so much. Right. So it does decrease transmission rates, but not fully. So as somebody that's saying, if I know my partner has herpes and I'm like, 
yeah, I've been sick, but I'm really horny. Well, I'm making that informed consent of, yeah, okay, I'm putting myself at higher risk, but I need to have that education, that knowledge in order to have that informed to, consent. Right. To base the decision mm-hmm. because it is a decision. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Right, yeah. Right. And thinking, uh, lots of people forget that if you have um, oral herpes or cold sores, they always think that that's very different. And I'm like, why are you thinking that this is a very different thing? It's kind of the same virus. Yes, herpes simplex type 1 typically is on the mouth, um, in and around the mouth, and herpes simplex 2 typically tends to go on the genitals, but it can go both ways. Um, absolutely. So whenever we're having sex with a new partner, we want to have the sex with the lights on. We want to look at their skin as unsexy as that sounds. We can really turn that into a really kinky type of exercise. Like it doesn't have to be super clinical when you look at your partner's skin, (laughs) but you really want to look at it all in all the crevices before you put your skin next to that skin. And if you see something, you're not going to be terrible to your partner. You're just going to be like, I'm not sure what that is. Do you know what that is? Let's talk about that. And I'm concerned. Can you please go and check that out? Because I want to have really hot, awesome sex with you. And I want it so bad, but I'm going to be in my head and I'm going to have anxiety. And I don't want to have anxiety when I have sex with you. I want it to be friggin' awesome. So get that checked out. Come back and see me. Now, if everybody communicated like this, nobody would feel, nobody would feel self-conscious at all. The problem is most people don't communicate this very, this very well. They don't communicate very well. They're afraid they're going to, I don't know, hurt their partner's feelings or they're going to, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to say that. I can't say that. So, and that is so true, especially with herpes. Cause again, the stigma is so high. So I say to a lot of people that I've recently told them that, yes, I'm, uh, unfortunately you, um, this is a herpes outbreak and they're like, well, how am I ever going to have sex again? I'm like, First of all, you are going to have awesome sex in your future. This is not the end of your sex life, but it just means that you have to, or you should, as a decent human being, have those weird, awkward conversations. Well, very quickly, it's an asshole deflector. You're going to know if somebody's (laughs) open-minded or not, instead of finding out three months or four months down the road, if they're not open-minded and they are just not a very kind person, well, some people, they'll take the information. Maybe they don't know how to really say anything and it's going to feel hurtful um but just give them a moment that's probably a good person to have sex with if they're asking questions and digesting information the longer you have this virus the less the outbreak right depends on your immune system if you have a really good immune system then lots of times the first outbreak tends to be the worst the first year of having the virus tends to be the worst for um frequency of outbreaks but then as time goes on your body typically adjusts to it so i meet lots of people that they're like yeah i haven't had an outbreak in over 10 years And um, some people can do it just with um, their immune system and their health. Some people need the um, medical management of uh, medication like uh, Valtrex or any of the antivirals. Um, Some people um, go more naturopathic and use lysine. Um, There's no research suggesting that lysine is effective, but if you talk to enough people, they say that yes, it is. And so if it can help, I'm like, well, why not try it? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. So back to people who are carriers that never exhibit. 
So they can pass on the virus? They absolutely can. Hmm. So this is interesting. So you could very easily sleep with somebody that has the virus that never presented, and then you have it. Yeah, so I see people that they're, let's say they're married. They had testing prior to their marriage. Both of them did. They thought they were doing everything by the book. They are just these perfect examples of, no, I want to have... um, just completely mitigate my STI risk. And so they both get tested. They're not having any other partners besides their main partner. And lo and behold, a year into their marriage, somebody uh, exhibits a sign. And then they go, what, what has happened? Heck? Like, has yeah. somebody cheated in this relationship? Right. No, it means that somebody I was didn't, a... You didn't, but you must have because I've got this and I didn't exactly. have it before. And yeah. And it's so upsetting for individuals, but again, nobody can uh, guarantee that they don't have this virus. Yes, there's blood work that can be done, but there, there's not a lot of healthcare providers that will do the blood work uh, because if all of a sudden I tell you, yeah, you carry the virus, you've never had any outbreaks, well, what are you doing with that information? How much of a stress is that going to add? So in very few circumstances, will the blood work get done? There are circumstances, um, but I don't think we need to get into that nitty gritty. Just realize that most people aren't having testing for it. Any of us could have the virus. And so we want to think about it. And if a partner tells you that they have uh, the virus, respect them enough that they had that ability to let go of their fear and tell the truth because that's a really scary situation and honor that person that they just did something huge there. And it's interesting because there's a lot of shame wrapped around, a lot of shame wrapped around this virus. Um, and it feels dirty, but it's, the virus. word dirty just breaks my heart when we're talking about sex. I don't want anybody to... <laughs> Unless it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like Dirty in a fun way. If we're not talking about more kinky and saying it in that context, but a lot of people, as soon as they'll say, oh, I'm, ST- I'm clean of STIs. Well, no, let's say I'm STI free. Um, I don't want to say clean versus dirty um, because we all get really negative in our self-talk and we need to talk to ourselves in a much more loving manner so i'm going to say yeah i had a partner i have chlamydia i'm getting rid of it now i don't have chlamydia so i'm sti free again so if i have herpes i'm not going to say i'm dirty i have this horrible disease i'm going to say unfortunately i picked up a virus i could have at any point in my life theoretically my mom could have given it to me because she has herpes on uh her lips and she kissed me as a baby so maybe i've always been a chronic carrier. So there's different reasons and there's lots of reasons for us to be gentle with ourselves and with our partners around this. Cause again, people like to get mean with this. Right. And it's, it's, it's one that tends to carry that stigma. Yes. Like more than any other ST. Well, cause this isn't an STI, it's a virus. And it's good that we're clarifying the difference between these, but it all gets clumped in together when people look at sexual health and it's, It really has its own stigma. The um, research does indicate there's a much higher likelihood of a depression episode after uh, the initial diagnosis. So it's really important if you are going through that and you've recently been diagnosed to know that and to know that you need some supports in your your life. If you can't identify anybody in your own personal circle that you feel safe talking to, well, then maybe you need to reach out to uh, STI clinic or to um, 
sexual health provider or a counselor or a therapist, somebody that you're able to go through all of these emotions because you're going to have emotions and you don't want to feel isolated and alone. And so many people are feeling like that. And no, we don't want you feeling like that. Or have the stigma and feel like you're dirty. Mm-hmm. And, I, and like I use that, that word again. That you <laughs> can't ever have sex again because, oh my God, how could I ever pass this on to anybody else again? And so there's a huge fear around that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so let's talk about the... P- HPV. Thank you. <laughs> so human papillomavirus, um, that's the virus that causes genital warts um, and certain types of cancer. So this is different than herpes. Now we know with HPV, you can actually clear the virus. Um, with so, the shot, right? Nope, just oh. with our own immune system. So we are constantly through our sexual lives picking up different strains of the virus because there's over 100 different strains of HPV virus. Wow. Yeah, so we're picking them up and typically if we have a good immune system one or two years, we clear it. And we pick it up and we clear it. All times that we're changing partners, we're potentially picking up a couple or a strain of HPV. Mm-hmm. So then when we're thinking about that, if it takes a couple years, one to two years, if our immune system is good, or three to four years, if our immune system is a bit challenged, again, we can get into a new relationship. We think we're doing everything perfect because we've both had testing done. We're ready to have sex. We're ready to take away the barriers. And boom, a year later, somebody has genital warts. Right. Did somebody cheat on somebody? No, not necessarily at all. It means that somebody, unfortunately, already had the virus in their body. Immune system doing great. Immune system doing great. Boom, amount of stress. Immune system not doing great. I have my first wart outbreak. Now, so if you have, because now I, I don't know anything about this virus. Oh my God. Sex Ed 101. Yep. <laughs> so if you have an outbreak... Does that mean that you are going to carry that forever and ever and ever then? No, it means mm. that you will um, hopefully clear the virus. And again, once you have warts, then you typically um, clear the virus in one to two years. That doesn't guarantee you will or will not have warts that entire time. So you should be working with your healthcare provider okay. and trying to aesthetically get rid of that warts through uh, nitrogen therapy or laser therapy. Um, there's also medicated um, creams that you can apply. So there's different things to talk kind of about. Almost like normal warts, like Absolutely. planters warts or whatever you Absolutely. get on your feet. Yep. Wow. So you're going to work with that provider and try and get uh, rid of the warts, but you're still going to have the virus in your body for a little bit. So again, uh, I'm asked constantly, when do I get to have sex again? Well, that's a really complicated question because we all know that we have these viruses. So theoretically, well, we're passing these viruses anyway so again we should be having those weird wonderful awkward conversations with our partners going have you had any recent uh wart outbreaks because i kind of want to know if it's recent because i my likelihood of picking it up from you if we're having sex and you recently had an outbreak is a lot higher if you said oh i've had warts but it was five or eight years ago i'd be like okay let's go hop in the sack we're ready to go because right, i'm not worried as much because i'm thinking that in that amount of time you would have cleared that virus right Hmm. okay so i know that they include this in the shots that kids get 
Yes. So there's Gardasil 9, so it protects against nine different strains of HPV. They're doing it in young people before sexual debut so that they're already protected. Um, And the two big ones in the shot is HPV 16 and HPV 18, because those are the ones that are most associated with cervical cancer, with penile cancer, with anal cancer, with mouth and throat cancer. So that's the ones that we really want to protect against, because again, we could pick that up and have no signs of issues until much later and especially with mouth and throat cancers then it can be quite progressed before it's noticed Um, smokers are going to have a much more likelihood of that progression so again don't smoke it's not good Um, if you do have warts and you're smoking the best thing you can do for getting rid of this the fastest is stop smoking Um, For any of us that haven't had HPV vaccine um, and we want to have new partners, we want to have open relationships, get the vaccine. Wow. Mm -hmm. Because before we thought that, oh, once you had the virus, you have it forever, so people don't need the vaccine. Well, now we know, well, if we clear the viruses or we haven't come into contact, well, if we get the vaccine, it's going to protect us against those nine strains. So we want the vaccine. Okay, so there's hundreds of strains, you said. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I clear, let's say I come in contact with eight different strains in a year, let's Mm -hmm. say. And then two years later, those eight strains are done. Does that mean if I come in contact with those strains again, you like can any- get them again? Oh, 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 oh. You- that's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. It's not like a normal antibody. And no. wow. <laughs> yes, that's why the vaccine is so essential. Because the vaccine does. Okay, so the vaccine does what exactly? Because if it's, it's producing an antibody, it's not because we would produce the antibody. Mm-hmm. So it's just allowing the body to recognize those nine strains and then you're not picking them up. Hmm. So it's basically shutting it off saying, nope, these ones don't get in. Exactly. (laughs) So when are they going to come up with all the other strains? (laughs) They're constantly doing that because remember when Gardasil first came out, it was Gardasil 4. So now we're up to Gardasil 9. So, and they've identified the two strains that are more associated with cancer. So that's really important. Um, In Gardasil 9, there's some other ones that are more associated with warts that are really difficult to treat. The ones that we are providing treatment for a long time and ongoing, and people are having a very difficult time getting rid of them. So again, it's really important to get the vaccine. Right. However, the vaccine's very expensive. A lot of people cannot afford it. So for all of you awesome human beings listening, that if you are any type of sex activist, please um, be very upfront and loud about the fact that we all need access to this vaccine. If we missed it in school, why are we having a higher um, likelihood of coming into cancer when we have something that prevents it? That's not good public health. So we want access to that vaccine, especially for all of the women out there that are going through colposcopy clinic. We should be screaming and yelling at all of our healthcare providers and all of our politicians that we deserve to have that vaccine. Interesting. Make sure that you advocate for that. Yes, please. (laughs) Yes, please. I, I didn't know any of this. This is all new on me. And one last thing that's interesting for us women is 
lots of us thought that we missed the opportunity to get the vaccine because it was only eligible for women up to the age of 26. That's changed up to the age of 45. So now there's lots of us that should be getting the vaccine um, when we thought that that was passed and we missed it. Okay, what if you're past the age of 45? Yeah. So if you're past the age of 45 and you're still going to have future partners, open relationship, you absolutely still want to get it. It just means that we can't determine how how effective it will be in an older population, but we still uh, we still think that it's very likely that it will be effective. It's just the research hasn't caught up yet. Got it. Mm-hmm. And because of those recommended age ranges, if you have awesome, awesome health insurance that covers the vaccine, they're going to get out of covering it because you're above the recommended age. Interesting. Good to know. So get it done before the age of 45. <laughs> <laughs> if your health insurance covers it, you absolutely should go and get that. Absolutely. Wow. Um, we were, Okay, so when we talk about different viruses and we talk about illnesses and we talk about just simple infections, um, what happens if you get HIV? Because I know HIV has come a long way. Long way. A long way. Before it was a death sentence. Now it's not at all. Not at all. When the good thing about having frequent testing is is if you ever test positive for HIV, then that is a step closer to getting on medication. Once you're on medication, um, we have a viral load. When, when the viral load is high, then we're passing that uh, infection, that uh, virus, uh, onto somebody much more easily. So then what the medication does once you're on antivirals is it brings that viral load down to what we call this sweet spot of undetectable. And so we say U equals U. So undetectable equals untransmissible. So really, once you're on medication, you're at that sweet spot, then you're not passing the virus to anybody. Right. And once you're on medication, you're undetectable, you're living to advanced years. Now we're studying gerontology in individuals with HIV, which... In the 80s, that did not happen. Even in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Even in the 90s, the advancements in HIV have been remarkable. Mm-hmm. So now our populations that are showing much higher uh, transmission rates, uh, unfortunately, are, are IV uh, drug-using populations. Because it's intravenous. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Well, and there are individuals that are stigmatized and have a much higher... Um, degree of difficulty of accessing healthcare. So they're not the ones going and having routine testing done. Um, and if they are, and if they even get on medication, well, that's a lot to ask somebody to remember to take medication every single day for something that's like, mm, I need to get my fix today. Like it's just, it's really difficult. It's on the bottom of the list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for all of our other lovely individuals that are living with HIV, we want to really decrease the stigma because it's not the same uh, as it used to be and people are living beautiful healthy lives with HIV and are having beautiful healthy partners um, and partnerships and families and um, so it's it's heartbreaking when I see somebody that comes in and they're really really scared of HIV still and scared of having sex because they're like my partner just told me that they're HIV positive what does that mean for me I'm like well that means that you have a partner that thought that you were a lovely human being and felt safe that they were able to tell you that. So that's awesome. Yeah. And so once you have that conversation, well, is your partner healthy? Are they taking their medication? Then 
go have awesome sex. Like Because you're totally safe. Yeah. The likelihood of transmission, no. I'm going to have a way higher likelihood of getting HIV from somebody that I don't know that hasn't had recent testing. So again, important to get tested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> important to get tested. And the other piece of HIV, um, now we have PrEP, so pre-exposure prophylaxis. So if I know that um, I'm having different sex, so say I'm wanting to have lots of party and play, I want to get really high, I want to have lots of sex, I may not want to use any barriers, um, or I'm just changing partners really frequently, I don't want to ask about my partner's history, I just want to get to it and have some really um, different not different, just have the sexual experiences that I want to, and I'm worried about um, HIV transmission, then I can actually go on a medication every single day that decreases the likelihood of that transmission by a huge amount. Different research suggests different amounts, but it's the research is amazing. So if you're looking for more of that research, go on to katie.ca. It's a Canadian... Um, organization and it'll have all the up-to-date information on HIV and hepatitis C. So that's Katie with a C. Um, And look at that research because it's amazing. And so if you're worried about HIV, you're worried that, oh yeah, I'm having a lot of condomless sex. I know that some of my partners, they've recently been uh, diagnosed with a new infection. Well then PrEP may be a really great option for you. Let's talk about hep C because I don't know anything about that either. I don't know anything about hepatitis period. So I know it affects the liver. (laughs) (laughs) yes and there's three different strains so hepatitis a is going to be typically um your foodborne hepatitis um and there's vaccines for that most people in canada are not uh vaccinated um in the school-based program for hepatitis a so if you're about to travel then you're going to get your hepatitis a or your combined twin rex has a and b so hepatitis b is your um sex uh transmissible hepatitis and that is in the school-based system. So for most people around the age of 40 or younger, we've all had hepatitis B vaccines in school. Now that can slowly wane, um, meaning that, yeah, maybe I had it when I was younger, but that's been a while ago. Do I still have um, immunity? So you can actually go to your healthcare provider and ask for your hepatitis B levels to be checked. And then if um, it's below a certain amount, then they'll provide a booster for you. Um, So we all want to have that because we all want to have awesome sex and not worry about hepatitis B. And then hepatitis C, there is no vaccine for. So that's the one that's really serious. It can cause liver failure. It can cause liver cancer. There's a huge uh, amount of uh, Canadians living with hepatitis C that has no idea. So if you're between the ages, uh, or not ages, let's say, uh, if you were born between 1945 and 1970, then you're always already at a higher risk category. So you should be asking your family doctor, can I please be tested for hepatitis C? And then for any of us that have had blood exposure, so hepatitis C transmitted through blood transmission, not through uh, genital fluid transmission. So if you're... Um, IV, uh, using IV drugs, then you want to have more routine hepatitis C testing done. Um, if you're 
say maybe more of a recreational drug user, but you're snorting drugs, well, that breaks down the mucosa of the lining of the nose. So if you're into that drug culture, you want to have more frequent um, hepatitis testing. C testing done. If you're having a lot more anal sex, um, then the sphincter is really prone to ripping. As soon tearing. as there's ripping and tearing, then we want to have hepatitis C testing done. So sometimes I ask people if they notice any pinking and people are like, what's pinking? So when you're having anal sex and you notice that the lubricant turns a bit pink, well, then we know that there are micro tears. tears. That little bit of pink is actually blood. So if that happens, then you want hepatitis C testing. If you're into anal play, you probably should have more frequent um, hepatitis C testing. If you're in the kink community and you're um, doing any type of things that um, break, skin. break skin, then you want hepatitis C testing. Um, because a lot of our toys that we play with in the kink scene, they're leather, they're paddles, they're floggers. Well, it's impossible to clean those properly. Hepatitis C can live on surfaces for a really long time. So I might have one partner tonight think that I cleaned my toys uh, just fine and have another partner the next night. Well, I just transmitted hepatitis C because I didn't know enough and I didn't know how to um, keep my partner safe. So we really don't want to be breaking that skin barrier. Or if we are, we want to really think about how are we cleaning those surfaces and what surfaces are we allowing to come into contact with blood. Um, ideally, it's our metal surfaces um, that you're using for breaking skin, not the leather surfaces. Okay, so when you said it survives for a long time, what's a long time? Uh, potentially up to three days. Wow. Okay, that's a long that's, time. But that's good to know. We're not talking Whereas, about a year. We're not talking you know, about months. But for example, HIV, pretty much as soon as it comes into contact with the air, it dies right away. Hepatitis C living on surfaces for potentially three days. So again, right. for our drug culture individuals, if we're sharing bills to snort drugs together, right. well, what has that bill been doing before it even gets into our hand? Or if I'm using a key, what did I already, whose nose has touched that key? Like, just think about what we're doing, how to clean things, and how to keep it as single use as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> um, or if we, um, another thing that we forget about is menstrual sex. That does increase um, in transmission. Not a lot, but uh, it's certainly possible. So if you're having bleeding during or after uh, sex, well, then you have to think about hepatitis C. So if you've noticed bleeding around sex, it can also be a symptom of chlamydia. So for any of us women, if you bleed after sex, please go and get tested, but then also ask for hepatitis C as well. That's interesting. So talking, sorry, talking about menstrual sex, some people do have sex during their periods. Um, that's a more likelihood of actually transmitting all? No, because or... basically you need to think about menstrual blood as same as any type of other genital fluid. Right. So for the rest of the STIs, same amount, it's fluid. As soon as you're in contact so with fluid, fluid, then you're looking at transmission. It's just with hepatitis C, it's transmitted via blood, not through genital fluid. So as soon as there's menstrual uh, fluid, well, then there's possibility. To the partner. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Wow. Very, very interesting. And hep C is the dangerous, most dangerous one. Yes. For all of our folks out there that, uh, are living with hepatitis C, um, 
there is really good treatment. Treatment has changed drastically in hepatitis C land. So if you, if you've thought about treatment or you've tried the old treatment, please go see your healthcare provider right away because there's better treatment, takes way less time, uh, way less side effects, um, and you can access it um, for free. So there's no reason not to have that treatment done. So we want to have testing, we want to get treated because you can clear hepatitis C. But for the individuals that don't know about it, that's the problem is you can go potentially 30 years with hepatitis C, have no symptoms, no issues, then boom, you get sick, you are already in liver failure. Well, then it's too late. And um, working in hospital settings and watching people go through liver cancer and liver failure, it is not the death that you want for your life or your loved ones. It's interesting. When I was in finance, actually, I had a client who had hep C through um, blood transfusion when he was a kid. Certainly. And found out when he was in his later 20s. And back when he first had the um, medication, it was exceedingly expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> when it when it came to insurance providers. The carriers were taking these massive hits for a round of hep C treatment. We were looking at like $60,000. We were looking at... I think currently it's still $70,000 if you had to pay out of pocket. But thankfully in Canada, we're not paying out of pocket. And it's something that we know that if we treat it, you're going to save money even at that price range than dealing with the long-term ramifications of transmission and having more people uh, have the illness and then all of the long-term complications of the illness. Right, right. And it's, it's fairly quick. The actual treatment is like six weeks or something like that now. Mm, six or eight weeks I don't remember if it's that quick but it's certainly much shorter than the nine months it used to be which is excellent and completely cures it um in most cases yep so you still want to be seeing your health care provider you want to be having those ongoing tests but in the majority of cases it is clearing it some people 25 percent of people clear hepatitis c just naturally on their own because our bodies are amazing and awesome. Because our bodies are amazing and awesome. <laughs> oh, they can clear so many things. So with Hep C, Hep B, um, Hep A is food related. So when but food related meaning oral fecal. So if you're enjoying um, bum play, then you want your hepatitis A vaccine. You don't want because somebody could be a chronic hepatitis A carrier, not bothering them any, but I go and lick their bum. Well, then I'm sure going to get real sick if I'm licking a hepatitis A carrier's bum. (laughs) (laughs) Totally true. (laughs) (laughs) So we want the vaccines for A and B, Twidrex. Okay, so let's say you get all the vaccines and this is all good. How long are they good for? Can you be exposed to it again? They're typically good for 10 plus years. Like tetanus. Mm-hmm. But for many of us, we're fine even longer than 10. It's just, I have to admit, I don't know the research. We just typically say for A and B, 10 plus years. I don't think that we know that for sure with Gardasil, for example, because it's a newer vaccine. Right. So we don't have those long-term studies yet. Okay. Good to know. I feel like I just sat through serious sex ed like there's so much information i had no idea about um around sexual health around 
things to consider with partners and the communication. Communication. So, yeah, the fun communication. Because actually it can really be fun. You can turn it into something so fun and so kinky. Like talk during sex. Tell you tell each other what you like, what's working. And it's so yeah. much sexier. And I, so I'm not sure where this podcast is actually going to lay out in the spectrum of the series. But in the BDSM, we talk about the conversations had prior and how important they are to set set some guidelines with each other. Have the conversations with each other. And the beauty of having conversations with your partner, and yes, it's very vulnerable. It is. There's no denying that that's a vulnerable moment with your partner, but that's also one of the best connectors you'll ever experience because you're both vulnerable in that moment. And it's going to lead to better sex. It does. Because you're going to trust your partner more. With more trust, you can let go. If you're letting go more, you're having better orgasms. Not just, or oh yeah, and ultimately, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I want better let's orgasms. Not, let's not kid ourselves here. <laughs> We all want spectacular, mind-blowing, head-fall-off-your-shoulders kind of orgasm. Even though for some people, that's not the end game for them. No. There's lots of people that are practicing really beautiful relationships and orgasm isn't their... Their uh, primary goal. mm -hmm. Yes. But um, (laughs) when it comes to having really great sex and, and really genuinely great sex, it's through our ability to be able to be really good communicators with our partners, being open, honest, truthful... And saying things like, I've, I've contracted this virus. I just think that you should know this. Um, I haven't had an outbreak in 10 years. Or I just contracted it. I just or found I out. Or I have had recent outbreaks, but I'm yep. on medication that drastically reduces the likelihood of me passing it yep. to my partner. And, and so that we're clear and that I'm, I'm giving you this respect. And then there's also the other side of being able to communicate the things that we really want when we're with our partners. Mm-hmm. And it does lead to a lot more adventurous fun. Yes. And honestly, that's part of the joy of sex is being able to have fun. Treat it like you're a kid exploring because you are. (laughs) (laughs) Because you are. And it's an amazing opportunity to really be able to share something spectacular with someone else, communicate through that means, and really be able to connect with your partner. Well, thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for being here, Megan. What a pleasure it has been to pick your brain all over again and giving us Sex Ed 101. Thank you so much for having me. Next week, we are talking about relationships and commitment in relationships and what that means. So everything from monogamy to open relationships to poly to to swinging. We are really going to dig into some of the parameters around these and the belief systems and the limitations that sit within them or not, and what's going to be right for you. A nail-biting episode for sure, so definitely tune in and check us out next week. If you are loving Fear It Goes, come subscribe below. Give us five stars. Tell us how much you love it leave comments come onto the website fearitgoes.com and leave comments if you have some ideas for some upcoming episode or you want to you want to hear us talk about something please by all means bring it i'm always open to providing you what you are seeking if you are finding yourself stuck really stuck in your life or that you are not moving forward in the way you want or that you feel that you're missing meaning 
or you're in a space that's good, but not exceptional, then you've hit your ceiling. And trust me, there's so much more beyond that ceiling. Come send me an email over at feargoes.com. You can send it to brandy at fearitgoes.com and I will respond. (laughs) Until next week, my beautiful peeps, have an absolutely extraordinary week. (laughs) 